My message this morning is the joy of harvest. And uh, there is this little phrase that you easily overlook in uh, Prophet Isaiah chapter 9, the chapter that we so often read at Christmas. Verse 3 tells us, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when plundering, when dividing the plunder. The prophet Isaiah is foretelling a brighter future for the people of God. The time of writing is a time when the Syrians and Assyrians have ravaged their land. And it's this very region that has been so affected by the invaders that is going to be the very place where the ministry of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, would take place. Uh, the people have been walking in darkness and, and uh, lacking hope for the future. But when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to bring good news. He's going to bring joy to the world. And uh, the gospel, of course, is a message that brings joy to the hearts of those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him with a living faith. And uh, it's compared to the joy of harvest when the Lord Jesus comes. And throughout the Bible, harvest is a very uh, special significance. The Lord Jesus uses it in, in parables. It's a metaphor for spiritual growth and fruitfulness. And harvest has always been an important time of year on earth. Even if we're not an agricultural community here, or involved in the uh, growing of food, yet we benefit from those who do it, and harvest should be a time when we remember that it's part of God's goodness to his world and to us. Israel had festivals that, linked, that were linked to the season of harvest. There was a time for the gathering of grain when they gave thanks to God and the fruits of the earth. And that was important to them because they couldn't import it very easily, they couldn't refrigerate it, and they couldn't store it so skillfully as we may do today. So they needed a good crop each year. And it was a happy time when they brought in the harvest. It began at the Feast of Passover and ended at the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Word of God says in Exodus, celebrate the Feast of Harvest, with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. So there was a, 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 a twofold. Remember at the beginning when you first get the, your, your first things that grow and then the last things that grow. And it was a great deal, time of great joy because it meant uh, another year's work was passed and had been fruitful, and they were going to enjoy their labours. Uh, many of the villages where, where I grew up in uh, loved the fruit-picking season. My mother used to go hop-picking, and, and she loved that. And others, when I was growing up, loved getting together in the orchards, picking the apples and, and, and uh, uh, the plums and the pears and all that sort of thing that grew around. And uh, human life has particular seasons of joy. And uh, for the is ancient Israelites and for country people, um, harvest had a, a particular time uh, when it was a time of joy. And the Bible is comparing 
the joy that comes to believers as the, being like the joy of harvest. So what is the joy of harvest, first of all? What is the joy of harvest? Well, surely there's a joy in showing our gratitude to God for his goodness to us. We're dependent on him far more than we ever realise. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God miraculously provided them with manna. They couldn't grow crops there in the wilderness. They could gather bits and pieces. They could uh, harvest a few quails. But God, every day, gave them a special supernatural supply of, of food in the desert. Now, our food doesn't come to us miraculously evermore, every, every morning. We just don't go out and, and gather it. To, but it's still wonderful to think that it's a miracle. God has given the principle of life to seeds so that they grow and they replicate and, and they produce more seeds, some that we can eat and some that we can um, plant again. God has given the principle of life and germination to our world. He gives the nutrients in the soil. He gives the sunshine. He gives the rain. God's hand is in all this. It's far more than luck and chance and, and evolution. There is a design, there's a principle of life that God has put there. And when we look, think of what's under the ground, God has so designed that there's going to be th things that are going to give us energy. And I know it's caused a problem now with the climate change using the coal and the oil, um, but there's, a, there's been a harvest from the soil and there's the minerals in the soil that we use. Silver's important, gold is important, all of these things are underground. God has provided and that's his plan for our world. He's given us a harvest in the seed, the abundance in the sea. Um, some of us have actually gone with a rod and lion and caught some of the harvest of the sea. Um, and there's other things in the sea that we can eat. It's all God's design, and we think about the harvest of the ground at the moment. And God planned all these resources. So it's a time to give thanks to a good God, a God that is faithful. A God that we can depend on. A God that's trustworthy in his creation, but he's also trustworthy in his other promises. It's a God that we can trust and praise and be grateful to. But it's also, as I'm flowing into that thought, the joy of harvest assures us that God is faithful. The Bible tells us in Genesis, as long as the earth endures... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Okay, well, the weather might have been unpredictable, this weather. Uh, I remember talking to a farmer in uh, Pembrokeshire uh, a few weeks ago, and, and he told me he'd lost thousands of pounds because the weather at the beginning of the year was very, very difficult. And uh, yet he was gathering in a good crop, and he was quite cheerful that he'd made up the money that he'd lost but he'd still got a crop although he had a difficult start to the year and depend on it just as God keeps his promise of the cycle of seasons every year summer and winter spring and autumn we have a God that keeps his word Paul says in 2 Corinthians no matter how many promises God has made they are yes in Christ and so through him the Amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. God keeps his covenant to the world, the physical world he's made. 
how much more will he keep his promise to us, his own people, who he's made in his image and he loves and he cares about. When we pray, we remind God that he's promised to hear our prayers and he's made specific promises about certain things. The psalmist said, Remember your word, the word to your servant, for you've given me hope. And as we look out on the world, seeing proofs of his goodness and his reliability, though there are some changes, overall, everything should encourage us to trust this faithful and reliable God. We live in an age where people are becoming more and more cynical about each other, more and more untrustworthy about people, but we have a God that we can trust, who will never lie. So be encouraged by the return of harvest that we have a God that's dependable, we can commit our lives to. Thirdly, what's the other joy of harvest? Well, surely uh, gathering in the harvest tells us that there's going to be more to come. You see, the farmer may have worked hard, he may have had to wait patiently, but at the end of the year, there's the crop. He's got it. And he's got enough, not only to sell, but he's got enough to plant again for the next year. It's, it's, a, it's a continuing cycle of provision. And... Uh, that there's this continuing hope that we have that God's going to continue to be good. God's going to continue to keep his promises in the future. And harvest should make us glad that we have a God that is holding the future, holding our future uh, as we trust in him. And he's going to make provision. And then there's the fourth joy that's a joy like harvest. A joy of harvest is to see the reward of the work. You see, God has designed us to live in a world where we're not like Israel in the desert, we just go out and collect the food. God has designed us to work. And though we may not work in agricultural or horticulture, we all have to work for our living. The Bible says if a man won't work, don't let him eat. God has designed that we use our bodies and our minds and our skills and our abilities to create wealth, to make provision for ourselves and our loved ones, and as we read in 2 Corinthians, to, to help others as well. Uh, there's a design that God has made for work, and there's a reward for work. It must be so satisfying to a farmer after perhaps he's gone out to his orchard in the winter, he's done the pruning, he's sprayed them with uh, things that prevent diseases, he's gone out, he's mowed the orchards to try and prevent pests. He's gone and he's looked after them, he's protected them if he sees a frost coming. And uh, then he goes out and he thins out the fruit to make sure he's going to get good-sized fruit. And then after all that, at the end of the season, the pickers can go out and all these lovely fruits come in to be eaten or to be sold. There's a wonderful joy in seeing the fruit of your work and the reward of your work. And there's nothing wrong in rejoicing in the product of our work, the, the satisfaction in achieving something, whether you achieve something with your hands. And, and I think it's, 
in some ways, when we created something with our hands and we can see something physical and tangible, it's, it's kind of more satisfying than if you sat at a computer all day because you don't always see, see what, what you've achieved at the end of your work. Um, but there is a reward in an end product. And a similar thing is, is in our work in, as Christians amongst the Christian community, the things that we do in our local church, some of the little practical things. Um, it, it's lovely to see answered prayers. It's wonderful to see uh, people appreciating uh, the work that is done. And uh, so often we have to remember this. The verse that I quoted to the boys and girls earlier, a man reaps what he sows. And uh, Paul goes on to say, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. He's making the point that we must never get tired of doing what God wants us to do, what's right and what's good. And if we do that, we're going to harvest what we put in. And there's going to be two outcomes. So Paul puts it like this. The reward is either a good reward or a bad reward. Whoever sows, sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. He's talking about sowing seeds that are ugly and sinful and wrong. He's saying if you live for yourself, you're selfish. You only do what you want to do, not what you know you should do, not what's right. If you live a life ignoring God, living apart from him, what are you going to get? What are you going to get eternally? You haven't wanted God while you've lived in this world. God's not going to be with you when you depart from this world. The world to come is not going to show any mercy or any hope or any grace. You've sown your own seeds and you're separated hopelessly forever. But Paul says there are others who ever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What's he saying? If we're listening to the Holy Spirit speaking through God's Word, if we're letting our life be moulded by the Spirit of God, if we're seeking to do what is honouring and right in the sight of God and living for Him, we're going to have His love and His grace. Goodness and mercy is going to follow us all the days of our life and we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever sowing eternal life we reap what we sow spiritually and eternally either to eternal loss or to eternal joy so let me now move on from the joy of harvest to the Christian joy of harvest. Paul, uh, the, the uh, prophet Isaiah, talks about the joy of harvest coming to believers. Christians know joy. Christians, of course, know sorrow, pressure, difficulty, but there's something special and unique that Christians have deep, deep in their hearts. That's the joy of the Lord. 
When does that joy begin? It's when we find the Saviour. Can you recall recall the time when you were without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you remember that you sort of didn't really know where you stood and where you were going? A bit of emptiness and purposeless in your life. Sometimes feeling quite troubled about things. You knew the Ten Commandments and you knew the Sermon on the Mount. They just made you feel uncomfortable and guilty. But God uses those things like a plough to prepare and open our heart, to make us see what's in our hearts and is sinful. And it's his preparation for us to be ready for the seed of the good news. Do you remember the day when you knew you were a believer? When you confessed your sin, when you put your trust on what Jesus did on the cross, that was a wonderful day. I uh, can remember the day singing that chorus, happy day, oh happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Can you remember Are you even going through that now? I believe some of you are. Knowing that first joy. Knowing God loves you and he's yours. Okay, sometimes that may not be overflowing. But it's never going to be lost. It's uh, a Christian who knows God is his saviour. And he's loved by God. You know, if you feel that joy, others will see you've got that joy. And you'll want (coughs) others to share your joy. So, the first joy that's a Christian's joy is that first little wonderful joy when we know the Lord has loved us and we love him and we want to please him. And we want to follow him and rejoice in him. There's a second joy that comes to Christians, like harvest joy. It's answered prayer. You know, if we're Christians, we pray. When the Pharisee Saul was converted, very religious man, man who said his prayers, the sign that he was converted was he prays. He prays from the heart. He's humble, he's thankful, he's not full of himself anymore. A Christian prays. You know, you imagine a farmer, he's, he's going through disappointments, his crops are not growing, there's bad weather, there's pests and diseases. And it must be a wonderful relief to him at the end when the harvest is gathered in. And there's a wonderful joy in for us when we see God's answering our prayers. Don't always think that you've got to have big answers don't be afraid about praying with the little things the daily things the things at school the things at work the things in the family the things in the neighborhood they're little things but so often our god appears in those little things and they are just as real as a big answer to prayer a wonderful event and very often god appears in that way remember hannah 
She was childless. It was such a hardship to her. It was, uh, it was a hard thing for a woman in the Old Testament not to have children. And then when she's given her child, she calls him Samuel, asked of God. She said, for this child I prayed. Do you know, she had a double joy. She didn't only have a little son that she'd longed for, but she'd had a God that had wonderfully given her her little boy. That was a great joy. We sometimes say about things, how wonderful, how remarkable. Sometimes the Lord puts us in places where we really have to get on our knees. Perhaps we need to be on our knees more often. But isn't it wonderful when we can look back and we say, oh, the Lord appeared for me. God was with me. He kept his promises. He helped me. There's a joy like harvest in seeing prayers answered. And people all around us, they don't know that. They've got no one to turn to. They can turn to their family, their neighbours. They can turn to society. But they can't turn to a living God who's with us like we can. Or be grateful for that. There's a third joy like harvest. And it's the joy of conquered trouble. Okay, take the farmer again. He's had lots of trouble in getting to the harvest. But he's got there in the end. And some of us as Christians, we, we go through difficulties, serious difficulties, real heartaches, real troubles, real concerns as part of a Christian community, as part of a family, and perhaps even our own spiritual battles and, and the difficulties that we have to face. And we can so easily get disturbed and troubled and anxious and fretting when we're going through trouble. But the Bible says in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying his sheaves with him. What's the psalmist saying? He said, look, he's like a farmer. Oh, he's, he's upset, the weather's all wrong. Just everything's against him getting a harvest. And yet, he comes back. And he's singing. He's got sheaves. He's persevered. And now he's got sheaves. Frustration has led to fertility. Sowing tears results in joy. Maybe sometimes we're sad over our own failures in our lives. And we turn to the Lord. And yet, ultimately we'll know the joy of forgiveness. The joy that we're accepted. And you see there's a joy that comes at the end of it. When we've passed through the trouble, it's very different at the end of the trouble. James says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reach, reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, the outcome of having to cope with all the pressures that have come to you, you've been considerate where it's been difficult, you've submitted where it's been a struggle to accept the situation, you've shown mercy where you feel you'd rather retaliate, 
You've been impartial where you feel biased about a situation. James says, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. You'll have a peaceful, harmonious relationship with God because you've done the right thing. And you'll have a peaceful and harmonious relationship with the others that you, you found it difficult with. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be an outcome. You've conquered the trouble by God's grace. You've overcome a difficult situation. And now you can rejoice. You're through it. And God has been with you through it. And you've been able to do the right thing and stand for the right truth. Fourth joy, like the harvest joy, is fruitful work. Paul said to the Romans, I planned many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you. It's so wonderful, isn't it, when we see the outcome of some of the work we've done. Perhaps we've worked with boys and girls and we've seen some of them come along and grow in their faith and get involved and develop. There's a wonderful joy in that. Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of the 19th century, uh, began preaching when he was 16. And um, he was wonderfully gifted. And he's began to go and preach in a village. He said, I've been preaching in a village with a growing congregation, but I've not heard of anybody being converted. So he said, I thought to myself, perhaps God hasn't called me to be a preacher. One day my deacon said to me, don't be discouraged. A woman was saved last Sunday. Spurgeon says in his journal, I went to that woman immediately. I wanted to hear from her own lips whether God was at work in her life. She was only a workman's wife, but I was always interested in her, and she lived a holy life until she went to heaven. It gave me a sip of the joy of harvest, says Spurgeon. God had called him. God was working through him, and he saw the joy of a heart and a life changed. And that's one of the great joys to see the outcome of what we're serving the Lord, uh, of the way we're serving the Lord. Nehemiah had to work hard. He was building the temple, he was building the walls of Jerusalem, and uh, he'd got many critics, and he'd got little help, and he'd got little materials, and uh, he kept going. And in chapter 8 and verse 10, he says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. You see, you're serving the best master. You see, you're doing the best work you can possibly do on earth in doing God's will. There's no greater joy than that. We want jobs that are fulfilling, don't we, in our secular life? We want to do things we enjoy and we feel are useful to others. But the joy of the Lord in doing his work is unparalleled and the last thing is harvest joys a joy like harvest joy is our fellowship with Jesus my name is Hopkins it's thought by some people that after the picking of the hops they had a kinship time and they all got together now whether that's true or not I don't know but there's, there's a wonderful sense in which there's celebration uh, and rejoicing 
the Israelites for their harvest had a festival, a celebration, a thanksgiving. And it's with others. I can't imagine a farmer walking around his orchard singing at the top of his voice, uh, praising God. That would be good. That wouldn't be wrong. But I'm sure it was much more wonderful. He gathered all his workers around him. We've got the harvest. We rejoice in a good God who's providing our needs. We've been able to get the crop in. Let's share our joy. Let's have a glass of cider, maybe. Something like that. There's a joy of fellowship with each other in Jesus. We all love the Lord Jesus and we rejoice in his love to us. And there's nothing like that. The harvest joy is fellowship with Jesus. That's what it was for the ancient Israelites. There they were, the land had been destroyed by the Syrians and the Assyrians. They were bigger than they were. They couldn't see much future ahead. They couldn't understand why God had let it happen. And then the prophet Isaiah says, these places where you live are going to see the light. You're going to have joy like the harvest. Why? The saviour of the world is going to come to your descendants. There's going to be good news shared that's going to spread around the world from where you're living now. Have you got that joy? That's where I leave this message with you this morning. Have you got joy in your heart because you know God loves you and you want to love God more? You, you, perhaps for you, you don't love Him enough. But you want to love Him. Have you heard the story of the couple who were afraid of war and they wanted to have a peaceful and happy retirement? So they searched the world. Where could they live where they would feel happy and safe and joyful for a long retirement? So they got their maps out. And they looked for a lonely place where they thought trouble couldn't come. And they found the Falkland Islands. And they settled in the Falkland Islands. And they hadn't been long there before the Argentinians invaded the army, invaded with their army, and war broke out. I'm sorry to say there's going to be no joy anywhere on earth like the joy and the peace that Christ gives to our hearts when we trust in him. It's unique. God designed us to know him and know his love and the only way is through Jesus. Have you got it? But then, it, it is possible that we have known the joy of the Lord, like a harvest joy, but we've lost it. I, I, I've known people who go to chapel or church still, and you don't see much joy in their heart, or their conversation, or their life. <coughs> David prayed in Psalm 51 restore to me the joy of your salvation now how do we lose that joy what makes our homes and our relationships unhappy well if we get out of step with 
our brothers and sisters and family members. If we're selfish or thoughtless, we're indifferent to them. Coldness creeps in. There's no joy. It's not a happy home. It's not a home where we're all at one and happy. We've lost touch. What does it mean when David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation? David's offended the Lord. David's brought shame to his nation by his behaviour. David's grieved God's spirit. Now he realises what he's done. How serious it is. Now he feels bad. He realises he had joy. He was a giant killer. He had joy that God was with him then. Now he's transgressed. And he's lost it. And he's now praying, Lord, restore to me that joy. That joy when everything was right between us. When I wasn't being sinful and rebellious and thoughtless. Restore it to me. Lord, bring me back so that I'm in touch with you every day and sensitive to you. Is it possible that you outwardly look okay, you kind of live a decent life and go to church, but there's not a reality in your spiritual life? Simple, go back to the Lord again. And then, time's gone. If you've got that joy, you want to share that joy. You want others to know that joy. Spurgeon says, who will have the most joy? He says, those who are busy in their congregation and community, sharing their joy, loving and caring others, doing the will of God, praising God and praying, really wanting to be part of God's people and on earth. They want to share the joy. I leave you with this. There's the joy of harvest, seeing the reward of work and being grateful to God and seeing his faithfulness and knowing there's hope for the future. And there's the spiritual harvest. When we find the Saviour, it begins. When we see answered prayer, when we conquer troubles, when we see fruit from our efforts. And above all else, the joy of walking